All right, everybody. We're actually going to skip the intro for today because I don't know. I don't know. I, I do the intro for every podcast episode, and I don't – I like it. I really do like it, but I figured today we're just going to go right into the predictions. I mean, you know what's up. Touch em Up Podcast, episode 204, UFC Vegas 55, home versus Vieira, preview, predictions, and analysis. I mean, I'm I'm straight up ready to go. I'm always ready to go. And at this fight night, honestly, when you look at it on paper, I think if you just glance at it, you kind of have that sense of, eh, you know, like, you don't really have to predict these. This isn't like a great card. But when you really look at it and you look at some of the matchups, there's great matchups on here. I mean, Morales versus Medic is a great matchup. Chidi Njikawani versus Dusko Todorovic, a great matchup as well. Ponzinibbio versus Pereira. Another great matchup. I mean, just those right there, you know, that's three fights out of the card. Those are all fantastic matchups. And before we get into the predictions, let's talk about the last fight night, which was UFC Vegas 54, Vlahovic versus Rakic. Um, overall predictions, if you look at the podcast statistically, I think I did all right. Um, on my social media, I ended up predicting 10 fights, and overall I went 5-5. Five and five. Now, I did place some bets on a lot of those bets that I told you guys to, you know, go after. Like Davy Grant by knockout, you know. Um, what's the guy? What's the other guy? Manuel Torres by knockout. And then Michael Johnson by knockout. Now, I said don't touch Michael Johnson because I've said so many times, like, oh, Michael Johnson's going to win this fight. And we've already talked about it, you know, like, he's going to win this fight, but then he ends up doing very well and then messing it all up towards the end and making a mistake, and then it costs him the fight. This time, he looked great. I mean, there were times in the beginning where he looked a little rusty, but, man, he landed that 3-2 on Alon Patrick, dropped him, and got the KO. Now, Alon Patrick isn't, like, an amazing fighter, but his record was 15-3. and I mean, was he great? Was he a UFC-caliber talent? I mean, I don't necessarily believe so, but you got to give credit where credit is due. That was Michael Johnson's first knockout since he knocked out Dustin Poirier back in 2016. and. You know, it was a great win for him. I hope we see him go on a little bit of a run here. I, I've always been a fan of Michael Johnson. I always thought that he could be a contender, and he's proven it before. I mean, he he hurt Habib in their fight. He he knocked out Dustin Poirier. He beat Tony Ferguson. I mean, he beat Edson Barbosa. He's beat some of the best guys in the sport. Was about 10 seconds away from beating, or maybe like 30 seconds away from beating Josh Emmett at 45. He beat Artem Lobov. He beat Andre Feely by decision at 45. I mean, he's beat some great contenders and great fighters in his career. But this one, he came in and he got the knockout. And I said, like, yeah, you probably could bet him, but don't do it. And I feel like I screwed myself on that one. Um, Jukagian by decision, I think that was always going to be a lock. And I know a lot of people were on the Hivas train. I kind of wanted Hivas to win, but I knew the stylistic matchup was just very difficult for her. And, you know, Chukagian got the decision. And then... So, like, overall perfect picks for me were Grant by KO, which in, that was a great fight between him and Luis Smolka, um, those calf kicks, and then just jumping on him with the ground and pound. I had Manuel Torres by knockout in the first round. Boom, did that one. Chukagian by decision. Boom, got that one. Um, what else did we forget? Michael Johnson by knockout we had. Let's see. Pull it up. Okay, so on the prelims, do we have anything crazy? I had Araujo by decision, but I didn't have that on the podcast. 
Um, so yeah, we had Michael Johnson by knockout. We had, uh, we did not get the main event. That was very unfortunate. We did not get the co-main event. We had Davy Grant by KO, Chukagian by decision, and then Manuel Torres by knockout. So a lot of the picks that we made, we we predicted them perfectly, like the finish, the winner. You know, Torres, Chukagian, Johnson, and Davy Grant. They were all perfect picks for me. I still got other picks, but it wasn't exactly perfect. The only other pick I think I got correct for the card was Vivian Araujo versus uh, Andre Ali, where she won that fight by decision. So I guess you could call it a perfect pick, but it wasn't on the podcast. So if you're just a listener and you don't follow me on social media, then I guess you don't have the proof there. But overall, not a great night, but not a bad night. Like it could have been worse, um, but I'm hoping to come back with a vengeance this week. And, you know, we'll talk about the main event really quick from last weekend. Um, Rakic versus Blahovich. Blahovich ends up winning when Rakic steps back and blows out his ACL. I mean, he he was doing well in the fight. It was close, but I feel like he was starting to pull ahead and he stepped back and blew out his ACL. And that was in the at 1 minute and 11 seconds of the third round. Blahovich gets the win by TKO. Probably going to be fighting the winner of Prohaska versus Teixeira, whoever that may be come next month in, you know, in June at UFC 275. But I thought that Rockich was going to get it done. Early on, he started off, and it was a little bit rocky. I mean, he did good. His jab was working very well, the 1-2. But, you know, Blahovich for a lot of the time, was just getting just out of range. Like, he would take a slight step back, and Rockich would go to land the 1-2 or the 1-1-2. And, like, it was perfect technique. It was sharp. It was crisp. But the more he threw it, like, he was just an inch off. Like, just a centimeter away from landing that shot. And then... You know, Rockic was able to resort to the treetop takedown where he got the single leg, lifted it up, dumped him. Treetop, I think, is what the position is called in the single leg and took him down and controlled him for the entire second round. I mean, just controlled him on the top position, didn't let him up, tried up, tied up the legs in the triangle leg mount, got him against the cage, and, and came back and won the second round decisively. First round probably goes to Blahovich. He did hurt him stepping in, I believe, with a left hook in the single collar clinch when they closed the distance. The low kicks were working very well for Blahovich. Rockich was following up with his own leg kicks, his own shots to the body. But I feel like Rockich's movement and his boxing looked very good, very crisp. And I think if the fight would have continued, except for that, you know, aside from that unfortunate injury that Rockich suffered, I think that we, we were on our way to Rockich getting a victory. Now, I know it was close. It was probably 1-1 going into the third. In my opinion, it was definitely 1-1. You could have scored a 2-0 Rockich, but I don't believe so. I think it was 1-1. And I think Rakic was on his way to having a phenomenal performance. And it could have been Blahovich being on his way to getting a knockout. But that unfortunate injury. And that fight actually cost me in my last parlay. I had a final parlay running to win like 140 bucks off of 20 bucks, And it was Davy Grant by KO, Manuel Torres by KO. Or I think it was just Manuel Torres, Davy Grant by KO, and Chukagian by decision. And the final leg of the parlay was Rakic to beat Blahovich. And it looked like we were on our way, but then you know what happened happened and tragedy struck and everything came crashing down. So I hope we come back this week. It's unfortunate for Rackett. She's probably going to be out for close to a year. Um, I, I don't know who he's going to come back against. I don't know who he's going to be fighting in his return, but we don't really have to talk about that. That's going to be a while away. And apparently he had a, a partial tear in his ACL going into this fight against Blahovich. And honestly, I'm going to tell you guys something. Do you remember before the fight, they had the backstage footage and Rockets was just blasting kicks to the body 
and high kicks on the pads, on the tie pads. During that, I was watching it, and he looked extremely tired. Now, when he came into the fight, he obviously had cardio, and he was pushing the pace. But I don't know. That just rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I, I felt off after I saw that. Like, he was obviously breaking a sweat, but he looked like he was overexerting himself. And could those kicks that he was throwing at full power right before the fight, could that have seriously affected his ACL and maybe caused a partial tear? Or maybe been a contributing factor to that tear that he suffered that, you know, cost him the fight? I think it could have been. If you go back and watch it on ESPN+, Plus, you can see what I'm talking about when they do, like, the backstage shots of the fighters working out right before the main event. And I don't know, it just gave me a weird feeling because he was like, he looked like he was exhausted. He looked like he was like extremely overexerting himself going into that main event. And it obviously certain fighters like to break a sweat. They like to almost fight before the fight. It works different for different people. And he looked good in the fight the longer that it went. But I don't know. I feel like that workout where he was blasting those kicks like full power or at least semi full power, I think that may have contributed to the injury during the contest. So that's just my two cents. But, you know, what are you going to do? But now we got UFC Fight Night, Holm versus Vieira. You've got the number two ranked bantamweight contender and former bantamweight champion in the pre Holly, the preacher's daughter, Holm, or the preacher's daughter, Holly Holm, going up against the number five ranked Ketlin Phenomeno Vieira. Vieira would come into this fight with a record of 12 and 2. Holly Holm comes back on the other side with a record of 14 and 5. We'll obviously get to the main event when we get to it. But let's start it off with the prelims. And I believe we have two prelims we're going to break down on this podcast. Yes, we do. First up, we've got... Where is it? All right, here we go. First up, we got a battle in the UFC's bantamweight division between Factory X's Jonathan Dragon Martinez, who comes into this fight with a record of 15 victories and 4 defeats going up against Vince Vendetta Morales, who comes into this fight with a record of 11 victories and five defeats. Now, to start us off, you know, this fight does scare me a little bit. Just overall, stylistically, I saw the knockout that Vince Morales had over Luis Smolka. We just saw Luis Smolka get KO'd again, but that was a solid KO. And the thing with Morales is he's got that boxing-heavy style. A lot of his success comes from his hands, a lot of one-twos. A lot of switching up the tempo, you know, bop, 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 boom, boom, bop, 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 boom, 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 bop, 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 boom, like that kind of stuff. Like you, you touch, touch, touch and rip or touch, touch, rip, rip, touch, touch, rip, you know, like you're mixing up the tempo and that is what some of the best strikers in the world do. But I feel like if you can take away the boxing and take away the power in his hands, you take away a lot of his success in his game. You take away a lot of the success of Vince Morales. Now he's a good fighter. You know, he knocks out. Louis Smolka, the great KO. They were tied up in the tie plum. He came over the top, boom, with an overhand right, dropped Louis Smolka, face planted him, jumped on him and got the KO. This guy has power. And going up against a guy in Jonathan Martinez, who overall technique-wise technique, technique wise, and technically speaking, I believe Martinez is the much better fighter. I believe he's a lot more well-rounded. I believe he has the ability to use all of his weapons in the striking game. I think Vince Morales is more of a boxer. He likes to walk forward kind of time you stepping in and then unleash his boxing combinations, you know, two, three, four punch combos to set up his power, or he'll just try to line you up for a knockout shot. With Martinez, he uses kicks heavily. 
the left body kick, the outside low kick, the inside low kick, the left high kick. He's got one of the best left body kicks in the game and one of the best left high kicks. It's got speed. It's got a lot of power. And he's good at setting it up against orthodox fighters. Now, in this fight, you've got orthodox versus southpaw. Lead left foot for Vince Morales, lead right foot for Jonathan Martinez. He's going to be looking to get to the outside of the lead left foot and pound that left kick to the body. Pound the left inside low kick. Pound the left high kick. And you know, with Vince Morales, you have to look back at the fight against Chris Gutierrez. Chris Gutierrez looked, it was basically a flawless victory for him against Vince Morales. I mean, he was chewing him up with the kicks, the left kick to the body, the left inside low kick, switching stance when, when Martinez would switch, or I'm sorry, when Vince Morales would switch from orthodox to southpaw because his lead left leg was getting chewed up with the outside low kicks, Chris Gutierrez would cut him off, switch his stance, and then chop the other leg, chop the outside low kick, chop the outside low kick, setting him up, left kick to the body. He couldn't check the low kicks to save his life. Once the low kicks were in place, the body kicks would be open because his footwork and his movement was kind of slowed down. He was stuck in a stationary position, and he wasn't able to push off with a lot of his punches. Now, he's still going to have power. With with a guy like Vince Morales, I think he's always going to have power, and with power comes you know, with great power comes great responsibility. We'll use that. And I just feel like there is a chance that Martinez gets clipped in this fight. I can see it. You know, even in the fights that he's won decisively, he got clipped against Davy Grant, got knocked out in a fight that was back and forth. He, in his last fight against Alejandro Perez, you have to go back and watch that fight. Morales was, or I'm sorry, Martinez was dominating the fight. The left kick to the body, the left high kick you know, cutting off to the outside of the lead left foot, the right hook to the straight left hand, the straight left down the middle, the one-two hook, straight left. I believe in this fight, excuse me, Morales is a better boxer. He's better with the hands. Martinez is better with the kicking game and much better. But overall, well-rounded mixed martial artist, you have to go on the side of Factory X's Jonathan Dragon Martinez. And another thing, the thing we've seen with with Jonathan Martinez is that when you're able to push him back and land three, four, five punches and get in his face, he does not do well under pressure. So if Morales knows that and is able to get past that kicking range and push past, maybe use a feint, get Martinez to throw a lazy kick and then crowd him and cut him off on an angle and start unleashing three, four, five punch combos, I think there is a possibility that he cracks Martinez on the chin and drops him. Like we've seen Martinez get KO'd before and it's happening every time he gets hit with a clean shot on the chin. Normally he either gets wobbled or he gets dropped. It happened against Alejandro Perez. He stepped in, caught him with an overhand right, boom, drops him. You know, drops him and the round ends, but he was winning the round decisively was Martinez until he got caught with that overhand and he was on shaky legs. The fight continued and then again, Martinez dominating the second round, or, or I believe it was the second round. He's dominating the round. He's controlling him. He's controlling him at kicking range. He's keeping him at a distance. Teep kicks to the body, left body kick, outside and inside low kicks, left high kick. You know, and then oh, towards the end of the round, Alejandro Perez says, you know what? Forget about this. Like, I'm coming forward. And he starts landing three, four, five, six punch combos. Bop, bop, bop. And when he comes forward and pressures Martinez, he gets caught. And, you know, Martinez gets hurt again. He doesn't get dropped, but he gets hurt. And he couldn't really have the defense. His head movement is not there. 
His defense is mainly to use his reach and his distance to lean backwards and then, you know, move in a straight line backwards and cut off an angle as he gets close to the cage. But if somebody is able to cut you off and lay, and extend the combos more than one, two, three punches, they're going to catch you because that straight moving back, your head's not off the center line. Your hands aren't really up. Your chin's going to be up in the air and you're going to be there to get caught. I would look for the overhand right of Vince Morales. I would look for him to maybe fake the right hand, throw the left hook, to get to the outside of the lead foot, maybe throw two or three left hooks off that left hook and then come over the top with the right hand. I think to fake the right hand, angle shift off to your left, jab, jab, boom, try to circle them in to the right hand. So cross, fake, angle shift, left hook, boom, come over the top with the overhand right. I think you could look for the overhand of Morales, and I think that if it lands on the chin of Martinez, he could be in a lot of trouble. Martinez does not have the best chin, and you always got to worry about that. But overall... When it comes to predicting the fight, I think you have to really take a look at that Chris Gutierrez fight against Vince Morales, where he got uh, leg kick TKO'd. The calf kicks, the inside and outside leg kicks, the left kick to the body. That's Martinez's bread and butter. And I really don't see Morales being able to get into that kicking range and close the distance. I think we're going to see a lot of left body kicks, a lot of left high kicks, a lot of inside low kicks, a lot of, you know, Switching stance maybe to chop the outside kick, then going back, left kick to the body, left to, left kick to the head. I think when we see Morales use that traditional boxing style high guard, you could see maybe him go with a left kick to the body, jab. As he steps forward, maybe you see Martinez land that left knee up the middle. He's landed it a couple times in his UFC career. He's got good timing on that knee up the middle, and I think with the boxing style of a Vince Morales, if he lowers his level, he can walk into that left knee. So overall, my prediction... I'm going with the Dragon. I'm going with Jonathan Martinez to defeat Vince Morales via a... I'm going to go with a second-round TKO. I think the kicks to the legs, the inside and outside, the kicks to the body. I think he maybe drops him with a left body kick, or he hurts him with a left body kick, uses his hands to fake and faint, and then comes up top with a left high kick, drops him, and jumps on him to get the finish. I know Martinez isn't a crazy finisher. I mean, we'll look at his record really quick before we move on to the next fight, but... Let's see. Pull it up real quick. I mean, he's got a decision win over Alejandro Perez, a decision win over Zivad Zivad Lazivshili, and then he had three canceled bouts. He lost to Davy Grampy at KO. He beat Thomas Almeida by decision. He landed a flying knee to ground and pound on Frankie Sainz. He knocked out Ping Yuang Lu with a knee up the middle. He got a decision over Wuji Ling. Wuji Buren. Sorry, I might be pronouncing that name wrong, but Wuji Buren. And then um, before that, he lost his UFC debut to Andre, Andre Sukumtat. So he's got two KOs over Frankie Sainz and Ping Yuang Lu. Um, I don't know if. Vince Morales is on the level. Morales is obviously on a two-fight win streak. Martinez coming into this fight, I believe, on a two-fight win streak of his own. Yes, a two-fight win streak of his own with two decision victories, the most recent one over Alejandro Perez. I just see Morales as the more clean technical, or I'm sorry, I see Martinez as the more clean technical and, you know, just overall better fighter with a lot more weapons. So I'm going to go with Jonathan Dragon Martinez to defeat Vince Vendetta Morales via a second round TKO. I think he just, the leg kicks, the kicks to the body, 
everything from that southpaw stance is going to be money for Martinez, and I think he's just going to be putting too much damage on him. He's going to drop him and get the TKO. So Jonathan Dragon Martinez to defeat Vince Vendetta Morales via second-round TKO. All right, and up next, we've got a battle in the UFC's lightweight division between Omar, Venezuelan fighter Morales, who comes into this fight with a record of 11 victories and two defeats, going up against Uros, the Dr. Medich, who comes into this fight with a record of seven victories and one loss. You know, this is a risky fight. This is a tough one. It's a very, very close fight. And I think you look at Medich, and a lot of people had a lot to say about him. They they had a lot of praise for him. They thought he was going to come into the UFC and be dominant and just beat everybody. And you look at his record. I mean, we'll pull it up really quick. Uros Medich. Here we go. Uros the Dr. Medich. And I think it's cool. His nickname is the doctor, and his last name is Medic. Like, you get it, Uros, the doctor, medic. You know, I, I think that's pretty cool. That's pretty clever for a nickname. I'll give him a couple points on that one. But he came into the UFC in, on the contender series against Mikey Gonzalez. He wins this fight via first-round knockout, you know, drops him with a kick up top, probably a high kick. I don't know. I didn't see the contender series fight. Jumps on him and gets the ground and pound at two minutes and 12 seconds of the first round. Then he comes in against Elon Cruz, and he wins with a flying knee to ground and pound. You know, just was hurting him every time he landed on the feet. He was bombing him away. The left, the right hook, the straight left hand, knees in the clinch, the left body kick. He's a very solid striker. He's dangerous. Prior to the UFC, he got a first-round knockout over Alonzo Lesholm. He got a first-round triangle choke over Jason Flowers. A first round, a second round TKO at 51 seconds over Nathan Feitosa, a triangle choke at 146 of the first round over Seth Kroll, and a knockout over Robert Rivera back in June of 2016. And then that was it. And then his most recent fight came against Jalen, the Tarantula Turner, where he lost via rear naked choke at four minutes and one second of the first round at UFC 266, Volkanovsky versus Ortega. Um, he got dominated in that fight against Turner. Turner walked him down. He hurt him on the feet, got him up against the cage, took him down, controlled him on the ground. Medich had nothing to offer Jalen Turner on the ground. And I'm not saying that Jalen Turner isn't a good grappler. He's a very good grappler, but he's not one of the best grapplers in the UFC. He's not. And we'll look at his record. He comes in at 12-5 and five overall. He did fight Vicente Luque, I believe. Yeah, he fought Vicente Luque. So he's beat Kellen Potter via knockout at 53 seconds of the first round. He beat Joshua Kulabau at three minutes and one second of the second round via TKO. He submitted Brock Weaver via rear naked choke. He beat Uros Medich via rear naked choke. And then he knocked out Jalen Turner with, or uh, Jamie Malarkey, I'm sorry, with a right hook to ground and pound. And it looks like he's going to be fighting Brad Riddell at UFC 276, Adesanya versus Cannoneer. Um, Wow. I just found this out by looking up his record. I had no idea that that fight was taking place. So, all right. I mean, I don't necessarily think that Brad Riddell should take a fight against Jalen Turner. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying I don't think he's going to win, but 
he should have gotten a higher ranked fighter for sure, in my opinion. But that's just me. But Turner was able to take him down. And once Medic was on the ground, he was a fish out of water. He was a complete fish out of water. He didn't know what to do. And he's got submissions on his record. Like, he's got triangle chokes. He's submitted guys. But that's the regional level. That's not the top level of MMA. And I feel like Uros Medic has a pretty padded record. Good, good striker, man. He's got good power, good technique, good left kick to the body, good right hook. You know, good ability to get those angles and land shots on the feet. But I just don't think he's going to be able to put his game together against a Omar Morales. When you look at Omar, the Venezuelan fighter Morales, we'll pull that up. Here we go. You look at his record overall, he's 11-2 and two in professional MMA. His last fight, he suffered a submission loss in the second round via rear naked choke to Jonathan Pierce, which was pretty surprising because I think a lot of people believed that Morales was going to run through Jonathan Pierce. Prior to that, he had a decision victory over city kickboxing Shane Young. That was a pretty good fight, a good win for him there at UFC 260. Before that, he lost the decision to Giga Chikadze. Um, you saw what Giga, what happened to Giga against Kelvin Cater, but Kelvin Cater is one of the top guys in the division. And, you know, you saw what Giga was able to do to Edson Barbosa, and I think that that proved how how good Giga Chikadze is. He lost that fight via decision, but he did go to decision with him. And, you know, Giga did finish Edson Barbosa, so you got to give Morales a little bit of credit there. He beat Gabriel Benitez via decision at UFC Fight Night back in July of 2021. And then he had a fight against Alexander Hernandez that got canceled. Prior to that, he beat Dong Yun Ma via decision. Prior to that, and prior to getting into the UFC, he had a bout on the 2019 Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series where he finished the fight with a right cross in the second round over Harvey Park. At Bellator, he got a head kick to punches at 58 seconds of the first round over Troy Naraki. Prior to that, a rear naked choke in the first round over Jean Zuniga. Or Jean Zuniga. That was at the One Latin America Championship. Prior to that, a decision over Danilo Padilla. Prior to that, a um, it was a no contest. So, you know, he's got finishes, but in the UFC, he's currently, I guess you can't count the Contender Series. So if we're not counting the Contender Series, he's 3-2 and two in the UFC, losses to Giga Chikadze and Jonathan Pierce. I'm not saying Jonathan Pierce isn't a good fighter. He's very good, but... I don't think Morales should have lost that fight, but it is what it is, and he just got out-wrestled and out-grappled. And I think Medic is a decent grappler, but I think that if the fight goes to the ground between Morales and Medic, I think that Morales is going to be able to control the top position. He's going to be able to land his ground and pound, and I think he's going to be able to look for a submission if the opportunity prevents it, or, uh, presents itself. I think that Morales is a better grappler. I think on the feet, the more, the more explosive, wild, and more dangerous guy on the feet is Uros Medic, you know, the left kick to the body, the right hook, the straight left. But you got to look at who he beat in the UFC. He beat Elon Cruz. Elon Cruz is not a top level. He's one of the lower level guys in the UFC. One of the lowest level guys in the UFC, in my opinion. I don't even know if he's still in the UFC. I could be wrong. I'm not really sure. But that win doesn't impress me. Yeah, he looked good, but he looked good against Elon Cruz. You have to look at who he's looking good against. Um, I think Omar Morales on the feet doesn't have as much volume as Medic, so I think he's going to have to weather the storm in that first round. But I think 
the straight right hand of Omar Morales is fantastic. The jab is great. You saw him use that jab against Shane Young the longer the fight went on in the second, in the third round. He's got power and strength in the clinch. You saw it in the in the clinch battle up against the cage, the over-under position, the double-unders, turning the corner, landing knees to the body, stuffing the takedowns, working his way back up to the feet, getting his own takedown against Shane Young, and working to take the back. He's got grappling. He's got strength. He's got a really solid jab. We saw it against Shane Young. I think that he has to use this jab and those low kicks early in this fight. Use the jab. Use the inside low kick. Fake and faint. He trains under Henry Hooft, I believe, out at Sanford MMA. I could be wrong. Let's see. Um, does it have his gym affiliation? Oh, all right. He trains out of Hard Knocks 365, which is... That's not the gym I'm thinking of, is it? Okay, no, they're closed. So I think he does train at Sanford MMA. If I'm wrong, correct me, but I believe he trains under Henry Hooft. I'm almost positive. But either way, I think that when it comes to breaking down this fight, it's a tough one because Medich does have power. He is a good striker. The left kicks to the body, the straight left hands, the right hooks. You know, he's good on the feet. He's got good technique, good movement. His grappling just isn't there, though. And I think the overall more well-rounded fighter here is Omar Morales. Now, you only have to worry about the volume of Morales. Is it possible that Morales does very well in this fight, but he's not able to land enough volume, and then he gets outpaced by the Dr. Uros, Uros the Dr. Medich? I think it's possible. I think the volume and the activity is going to come from the side of Uros Medich, but I think we're going to see Omar Morales use some striking on the feet, but resort to his wrestling and his grappling early, take down Medich, work the ground and pound, work the top position, get some shots off on the ground, and then when it gets back up to the feet, you're going to tire Medich out with that grappling. You're going to be able to land that one-two down the center, which is very sharp. You're going to be able to land those outside and inside low kicks. You're going to be able to work that one-two, find the cross, and I think you're going to be able to just out, out wit. Uros Medich. I think it's a battle of fight IQ here, and I think Omar Morales has more weapons in the bag, more weapons in the tank to carry him on for these three rounds. And I think that Omar Morales defeats Uros Medich via a 29-28 unanimous decision. Like I said, I think it's a close first round. I think Morales has to walk through a little bit of fire, but I think he's going to be able to find his way to those grappling exchanges, get to the body lock, you know, get a backside trip, work from the top position, get into the half guard, take the back. You know, I think the grappling is really what's going to set him apart from Medich here. And I think that using that grappling and the wrestling early is going to open up the striking exchanges on the feet. And that's where Morales is going to be able to take over with that jab, the faint one, two, the faint two, three. And I think the jab is going to be working for him in the second and third round. I think it plays out pretty similarly to the Shane Young fight, actually, with a little bit of a twist on it. Um, I think Medich is a little bit reckless, way more reckless than Shane Young, so he might be there more often for the power shots of Omar Morales, the, the cross following up on the jab, one, two, jab, jab, faint the jab, right hand. I think it's going to be there, but, you know, I believe that Omar Morales is just the overall better fighter. It's close, it's risky, but I'm going to go with the Venezuelan fighter, Omar Morales, to defeat Uros, the Dr. Medich, via a 29-28 unanimous decision. And I would pick a finish because he's had finishes in his career 
prior to the UFC. But a lot of his wins in the UFC have come by decision. So I'm just going with the flow. And he could get a KO here, but I think he's going to fight smart, fight tactical, and get that decision on the judges' scorecards. Now we move to the first fight on the main card in the middleweight division between Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang, and Jikawani, who comes into this fight with a record of 21 victories and 7 defeats. Going up against Dusko Thunder Todorovic, who comes into this fight with a record of 11 victories and 2 defeats. Now, um, I think that a lot of people are going to have the same thoughts when it comes to this fight. I think Dusko Todorovic is a great fighter. You look at his last fight against Maki Patolo. He was getting pieced up on the feet, um, getting hit with the one-twos, getting hit with the combinations, getting hurt bad. He resorts to the grappling, finds the top position, is able to get his hooks in, is able to flatten out Maki Patolo and pound him away with the ground and pound. So he was able to find the way to the victory. He went through adversity, and he found a way to win. You look at Dusko, his record will pull it up. Here. So, last fight beats Maki Patolo four minutes, 34 seconds of the first round with ground and pound. Before that, he loses a decision to Gregory Rodriguez. Before that, he loses via first round KO to Punahale Soriano. Before that, he beats Dequan Townsend at three minutes and 15 seconds of the second round with ground and pound. Prior to that, he had three canceled bouts against John Phillips. And then on the contender series, he beats Teddy Ash. Via decision. He also has a win over Michel Dimolidor Pereira, which we're going to be talking about pretty soon. I think that's pretty interesting. He beat Michel Pereira via first round KO at four minutes and 32 seconds at Serbian Battle Championship 19 on August, in August of 2020. Or I'm sorry, in July or December 1st, 2018 is when he beat. Michelle Pereira. So that's an interesting win and a good win for Dusko Todorovic. But the problem with Dusko is he's got decent striking. He's a good striker. He can put it together on the feet, but he doesn't have a high guard. He doesn't keep his chin down. He doesn't have a traditional high guard. You know, it's a lot of head movement. He relies on pulling back, slipping left and right, rolling, you know, slip, slip, roll, pull back, jab, jab, pull back, slip, slip, roll. He uses his head movement and sometimes it works very well. But going up against a guy, who has the power, the knockout power, and the striking ability of Chitty, Chitty, Bing, Bing, and Jakawani. I just really don't see him being able to take a power shot from Njikawani. Now, both of these guys did come off the Contender Series, so I hear a lot of people saying Contender Series fade, you know, don't, don't pick the guys who come off the Contender Series, and sometimes you're right. I mean, there are a lot that have come off the Contender Series and just not lived up to potential, but I mean, look at what Manuel Torres just did against Frank Camacho. Now, there were other people on that card from the Dana White Contender Series who lost, but, you know, <laughs> Manuel Torres looked pretty good against Frank Camacho. But I think that the the, the Contender Series faded in, you know, if you listen to, like, diehard MMA podcasts and some other guys, a lot of people are fading those guys because they just aren't as good as they're believed to be on that show. But in this case, I think Chidi Njikawani, I mean, he... He's got good striking. You saw in the Contender Series that he's got good ability to move. He uses a lot of fakes and feints, lead jab, feint, throw the jab, 
one, two, faint, faint the rear low kick, pop the jab, faint the rear low kick, one, two, cross hook, pop, pop, pop. You know, he can fake in the faint on the feet. He can move, switch his stances, you know, move laterally, move in and out. He's just got so many more weapons than Dusko does on the feet. And the, the fact that Dusko Todorovic doesn't move his head off the center line. I mean, he got caught by Maki Patolo. He was getting pieced up on the feet before he resorted to the grappling. He was getting pieced up by Punahele Soriano. And soon Soriano found that straight left hand, caught him on the chin, and knocked him out cold. Just, just a vicious KO. And even in the fight against Maki Patolo, like we said, he was getting pieced up. And he found a way to resort to the grappling, get the back, and get the ground and pound. Now, I think we will see Dusko Todorovic use his grappling early and use it often in this fight against Njikawani. I think he's going to look for those takedowns, you know, look to push him up against the cage and the over-unders, work the knees, work the knees to the body, look to shoot the takedowns. But I think something we know about Njikawani, even though he's only had one fight in the UFC and it was a first-round KO over Mark andre Burial on the Contender Series, he was able to stop a lot of takedowns. He was able to stuff almost all those takedowns and then use his strength and use his superior positioning to land ground and pound and actually get the ground and pound TKO with elbows. Now, I think Dusko Todorovic is obviously a better fighter than the guy who Chidi Njikawani fought on the Contender Series. Let's pull this up. He fought... Mario Souza. Yeah, Mario Souza on the contender series, and he got the knockout at 1 minute and 35 seconds of the third round. So he has the cardio to push. He's got the takedown defense to back it up, and he's got the power and the strength and the ability to hold the top positions and work the ground and pound. Now, like I said, I think that Dusko Todorovic is a lot better of a grappler and a lot better of a mixed martial artist than Mario Souza, but the fact that he keeps his chin so high up in the air and resorts to a lot of his head movement and pulling back and using the range and slipping his head off the center line, instead of keeping a high guard while you're using your head movement and slipping off, no high guard and slip, slip, it's just slip, slip, roll. But that is going to be have his chin open. And the right hand that he landed on Mark andre Burial is nasty. His knees to the body are nasty. His elbows from the ground upon his elbows in the clinch are nasty. His high kicks, everything from Njikawani on the feet is dangerous. Now, I know he's new to the UFC. He's been around the game, but he's new to the UFC. His overall record, 21 victories, 7 defeats. But, you know, sometimes you can't drink, you know, the proverbial magic potion where you, you just believe in the hype all the time. But I do believe that Njikawani is sharp, clean, technical, and a lot more powerful than Dusko on the feet. And the fact that Dusko's been hurt multiple times and he's been cracked on the chin and that chin has been cracked, I think Chitty Bang Bang is going to go bang bang on Todorovic and land on the chin and get that first round KO. I think that, you know, he's going to think that he can use the range and distance against Chitty and Jaquani. Dusko's going to come in with his hands low. He's going to use a jab, use a jab. And I think it's going to be similar to the Andre Burial fight. He's going to time him. He's going to faint. Boom, come in with the overhand right. He's going to stun him. He's going to jump on him. Actually, I think it's going to be a clean KO. I don't even think a TKO. I think he's going to walk in, walk into range, use the fakes and feints, faint the jab, boom, come over the top with the right hand, follow up with the left hook, drop him, and get the first round knockout. So my pick is Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang, and Jakowani to defeat Dusko, Thunder, Todorovic, and improve to 22-7 and in professional MMA via a first round knockout.
All right, and now we move to the co-main event of the evening in the UFC's welterweight division between the number 14-ranked Santiago Argentine Dagger Ponza Nibio, who comes into this fight with a record of 28 victories and five defeats, going up against Michel Demolidor Pereira, who comes into this fight with a record of 27 victories, 11 losses, and two no contests. Now, breaking down this fight for everybody, I think it's a fantastic fight. I think it's definitely worth the co-main event slot on this card. Um, I think it's going to be a good fight either way. This might be your fight of the night. In my opinion, looking at every fight on the card, it's either going to be this fight or Omar Morales and Uyuros Medic. That's going to be your fight of the night. But talking about Santiago Ponzinibbio, he's been doing okay. You know, he had that terrible injury. I believe it was like a blood infection, a really bad staph infection, which almost killed him and kept him out of competition for a very, very long time. I mean, he's he's had a lot of health issues and a lot of health scares that have kind of kind of took away some of his prime because before he got injured and before everything kind of fell apart for him, he had a huge victory in a five-round fight via knockout over Neil Magny. And Magny is one of the top-ranked guys in the welterweight division at the current point. Ponzinibbio is currently, like we said, ranked number 14. Now, Michelle Panetta is currently on a five-fight win streak, if I'm not mistaken. Let's pull that up, and we can check that out. So, he defeated Chaos Williams by decision. He defeated Zalim Imadayev by submission in the third round. Then, he defeated Nico Price by decision. He defeated Andre Fialo by a decision in his most recent fight at UFC 270 back on January 22nd. So I believe that's four fights, right? Because, yeah. So his last loss actually came to Diego Sanchez, funny enough, at UFC 167, Corey Anderson versus Jan Blahovich too. So he hasn't lost since February of 2020. And then he has a win over Zalimi Madaev, a win over Chaos Williams, a win over Nico Price, a win over Andre Fialo. And yeah, so he's on a four-fight win streak. So he's 4-0 in his last four fights, 27-11 and 11 overall as a professional mixed martial artist. Um, He's good. And the thing that I think has happened with Michelle Pereira is he's found a way to kind of come into his own. Before, he was really reckless doing backflips and Showtime kicks off the cage and Superman punches off the cage and and, you know, backflips in the middle of the cage, trying to do a backflip to a grounded opponent in Nico Price and almost kicked him in the head, actually. Almost, like, stomped him in the head after he did that backflip while he was on the ground. He was he lost the fight to Tristan Connolly, where he just was way too crazy, way too reckless, way too much of a showmanship, and Connolly was just kind of sticking and moving, and he ended up winning the decision. Same thing with the Diego Sanchez fight, just kind of sticking and moving, popping, bobbing and weaving, and, and just kind of landing when... You know, Michelle Pereira was more concerned about the showy stuff, the showtime kicks off the cage, the flying knee off the cage, faking the showtime kick off the cage, then doing a little salsa dance, coming at you with a jab. But in his most recent fights, he's been able to use his wrestling. He's been able to use that those good combinations and that flowy showman-style movement, but he's kind of dialed it back and become a lot more technical of a fighter than he was before. A lot of one, one, two, fake, switch to stance, two, three, two, two, rip to the body, two. 252 to the body, bop, 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 moving around, do, 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 knee to the body. You know, he can use that showman style that kind of cost him in his past. 
but he's created a more dialed in technical and tactical approach to the way he wins fights, using a lot more pivots, using a lot more footwork, using a lot of in and out movement and sticking and moving with two, three punch combinations and getting out of the way. Boom, 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 low kick, boom, 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 high kick, you know, and mixing it in with that showmanship style, like we just said. Now he's going up against Santiago Ponzinibbio. Now you look at Ponzinibbio's last fight, or last few fights, I should say. His last fight, he lost a decision to Jeff Hansa Steel Neal at UFC 269 back in December of 2021. Now, let's see. Santiago Ponzinibbio. The Argentine dagger, 28-5 overall in professional MMA. Um, yeah, so his he beat Neil Magny back in November of 2018 with a knockout in the fourth round. He landed to, up top when Magny was against the cage, hit him, looked like Magny caught onto the punch, and then he just fell forward and face planted. He had a couple fights since then that had gotten rescheduled, or um, they got canceled. He was going to fight Robbie Lawler in December of 2019, and then he was going to fight Muslim Salikov in January of 2021. Those both got canceled. He came back. On the same card, he was in a fight, Salikov, and fought Li Jingliang. And he got knocked out in the first round, 4 minutes, 25 seconds in at UFC on ABC 101. Two follow-up left hook. The left hook caught Ponzinibbio on the chin as he was trying to connect with a shot, dropped him, and finished him off. So he was gone from November of 2018 to January of 2021. So over almost two, a little over two years, he comes back, gets knocked out. Then he goes and fights Miguel Baeza, you know, Carmel Thunder. He wins that fight via decision in a back-and-forth war, probably one of the best fights of his career. He, he went through adversity, but he was able to stick and move, land that jab, land the one-two, and just land the beautiful combinations that Ponzinibbio has become known for. He wins that fight by decision. He goes in and fights Jeff Neal, loses a split decision at UFC 269. I think it was a pretty clear-cut victory for Jeff Neal. Obviously, um, Ponzinibbio did better the longer the fight went. You know, I think he started landing more and finding the timing with the right hand, finding the timing with the jab, the one-one-two. The best shots from Ponzinibbio are the jab and the right hand, and a lot of fakes and feints. Fake it, throw the one-one. Fake it, throw the double jab. Fake it, throw the one-two. Fake, throw the two-three. You know, jab, hook, right hand. He's fighting against Michelle Pereira, who switches his stances. If Michelle Pereira goes southpaw, look for Ponzinibbio to try to get that outside foot paw at the jab hand. We'll use the check left hook. Use the jab, jab into the left hook. Fake the left hook into the jab, back into the left hook, the one-two down the center. He's a very technical and tactical fighter, but his his volume does pick up as you go into the second, into the third round. He starts off kind of slow, figuring you out, downloading your data, and then he'll start landing the combinations on the feet. But honestly, in my opinion, I think Santiago Ponzinibbio lost some of the prime years of his career after he got that staph infection, after he got that blood infection that kept him out for so long. I think it was a bone infection, but it started with staff. I remember, I believe, I think um, I had Hyder Hassan as my first interview on this podcast, and he talked about Ponzinibbio over at American Top Team and, you know, the injury and everything. And it was a staff that led to a bone infection. And it, like I said, he almost died from it. But he's back, and he lost his last fight, but before that beat Miguel Baeza, lost to Li Jingliang. You know, so he he's one and two in his last three fights. Last win coming in June of 2021. Prior to that, losing to Jingliang by knockout and then beating Neil Magny in 2018 in that UFC Fight Night main event. 
But at the prime of his career, I feel like he's just not the same guy anymore. And maybe he is the same guy, but we just didn't get to see it get exposed, you know, the longer his career went because of the injury and the sickness that he had to deal with. And he's still a great fighter. You know, if he gets his combinations going, if he can use his striking and use his fakes and feints, he can win. But I just believe Michelle Pereira has so many more weapons. I think the way he switches his stances, the, the free movement that he has and changing his stances and everything like that, I think that he's not really going to give Ponzinibbio an avenue to start landing that jab, to start landing the one-two. I know the jab worked very well for Andre Fialo early in the fight, but the longer the fight went, Pereira was able to figure him out, download the data, and actually beat Andre Fialo. And Fialo's on a two-fight win streak back-to-back with back-to-back knockouts over Miguel Baeza and uh, Cameron Van Camp. You know, Van Camp's not a crazy win, but Miguel Baeza is, and, you know, he knocked him out, and that was a great fight. And then Santiago Ponzinibbio went to war with Miguel Baeza, but came out on top by picking it up the longer the fight went on. But I don't think he's going to really have the opportunity to download the data and find his avenue to get those combinations, get that jab off, keep Pereira behind the jab, and finally land the cross, the one, two, three, the one, two, three, two, the two rip to the body, jab, jab to the body, boom, 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 boom. I don't think he's going to be able to fight that technical, tactical style of chess match against a guy in Pereira who, yes, he is a reckless guy. He is a wild man. He'll do crazy things like we already talked about, but he's become a lot more dialed in and a lot more technical in his approach, and it's led him to a four-fight win streak. I expect Pereira to just be the better all-around fighter here. Now, could Ponzinibbio just get on him early, start landing his combinations early, and and you know get him behind by using that slick jab in the one-two? Of course he could, but I just don't see it. I think the stance switches are going to confuse Ponzinibbio and I just think Ponzinibbio's past his prime, man. But the, the the variety, the mixing up of the martial arts that Pereira does and how he kind of can mix it up with the striking, the grappling, the combos, and everything, and use those that wild movement to kind of draw you out and then boom, 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 land some combinations. He's got slick striking technique. Defense isn't the best, but I think he can be defensively aware against a guy like Ponzinibbio. And overall, I'm going to have to go with Demolidor, Michel Pereira, to defeat Santiago Ponzinibbio here. I just think, like I said, I think the prime years of his career have just passed him by. And it's sad to say because at one point he was one of the brightest prospects and considered to be one of the best welterweights in the world. And, you know, things have just passed him by. And it's unfortunate, but you got to call it like you see it. And his record's great, 28 and 5. But I just think Pereira's that new breed that's going to be able to get past Ponzinibbio. I could see a potential finish. But I'm going to go with a decision for Michelle Pereira, really picking it up in the second and the third round, piecing him up with the combinations, hurting him up against the cage, using the wrestling, and just cruising his way to a two rounds to one unanimous decision. So my pick is Michelle Demolidor Pereira to defeat Santiago, the Argentine dagger, Ponzanibio via a 29-28 unanimous decision. I could see a KO on either side. Like Both of these guys have power. I could see Pereira getting caught. I could see Ponzinibbio getting caught. But I think we go to the scorecards on this one. All right, and now we move to the main event of the evening in the UFC women's bantamweight division. Between the former UFC bantamweight champion and former featherweight title challenger in the number two ranked Holly, the preacher's daughter, home, going up against the number five ranked Ketlin Phenomeno. Vieira, who's coming off of a huge win over Misha Cupcake Tate. And Holly Holm is coming off of an even bigger win against Irene Aldana in her last performance. This is a good fight. 
Um, I'm going to be honest here. I, I'm not sure that this is worthy of a main event. And I know you're going to say, well, Holly Holmes, a former champion. She's on a win streak. She beat Raquel Pennington. She beat Irene Aldana. That's true. But Vieira versus Holm, I feel like, is a is a fight night co-main event and not necessarily a main event. Now, do I think there's any fights on this card that could have filled in in a main event? No, I don't. But do I think they could have found a better fight to be the main event for this fight night? I definitely do. I definitely do. I don't think that this is necessarily worthy of that main event slot. But it is what it is, and you got to call the fight like I see it, you know? Like we said, Catlin Vieira coming off of that five-round decision victory over Misha Cupcake Tate in her last fight. A back-and-forth contest. Um, Vieira Vieira's good. She's got decent striking. She's got a very good right hand. It's very accurate. Good left hooks. Sometimes she wings her shots with some overhands, left hooks, uppercuts up the middle. But, you know, it's not she's not the best striker. And, you know, I think you can never really use MMA math to break down a fight and be like, oh, well, this person beat this person, so they're probably going to beat this person because they lost to this person. You know, we talk about MMA math all the time. Sometimes it works, but normally MMA math is just a fantasy. But if you think about it, Holly Holm dominated Irene Aldana. Looked, had one of the best performances of her career in a dominant five-round decision. I believe it was 50-45, 50-44. Just complete and utter domination. The speed, the accuracy, the angles, you know, shifting out in that southpaw stance to the outside of the lead left foot of Irene Aldana, constantly circling to her rear side to avoid the power in the left hook and avoid the power in the big left hook of Irene Aldana, which actually caught Ketlin Vieira on the chin and knocked her out. Irene Aldana has a KO victory over Ketlin Vieira. Now, Misha Tate has a victory over Holly Holm in that five round, fifth round Hail Mary submission where she became the champion. And Vieira defeated Misha Tate by decision. So again, you can go back and forth and call a spade a spade. But the fact that Irene Aldana knocked out Ketlin Vieira with a left hook, you know, and then Misha, or I'm sorry, then Holly Holm just kind of dominated, you know, dominated Irene Aldana in her last fight in that fight night main event. I mean, it was domination. It was, like I said, one of the best performances from Holly Holm. I think that's something you definitely have to look out for and look at when you're analyzing and breaking down how this fight could probably play out. Now we'll look at the records. Holly Holm comes in with a record of 14 victories and five defeats. And Caitlin Fenomeno Vieira comes in with a record of 12 victories and two defeats. So good records on both sides. Holly Holm has obviously fought the better, stiffer competition, you know, knocked out Ronda Rousey with that beautiful left high kick, shocked the world. Um, has fought Misha Tate, fought Chris Cyborg to a decision at UFC 219. You know, she's fought some of the best. The best fought Amanda Nunes. Ketlin Vieira fought Misha Tate. She fought Irene Aldana. She's fought some good girls in her own right, but the experience advantage just in combat sports and in professional MMA overall has to go to the former bantamweight champion and, and featherweight title challenger in the number two ranked Holly, the preacher's daughter, home. And I believe they were actually in the inaugural 145-pound featherweight championship fight with Chris Cyborg and Holly Holm at UFC 219, which was a great fight back and forth for sure. Very close fight, but Cyborg, I believe, clearly won it. You could have maybe given it to Holly Holm. You know, you could, I haven't seen the fight since it originally happened, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some people may have scored that fight for Holly Holm. And, um, you know, I feel like, no, because you know what, that wasn't the inaugural women's, uh, 
women's featherweight championship fight. The inaugural fight was Holly Holm versus Jermaine Durandamy. Durandamy won the fight by decision, but she landed a couple of questionable shots at the bell in a few of those rounds. But then Jermaine didn't want to fight Chris Cyborg and vacated her title. So then Holly Holm stepped in to fight Chris Cyborg at UFC 219. That That's how the story went. I, I, I miscommunicated and mixed up a couple of the details. But we'll go into the stats. Obviously, both coming off wins. Holly Holm over Irene Aldana. Ketlin Vieira over Misha Cupcake Tate. Height equal, 5'8 for both women. Reach, a one-inch reach advantage for Holly Holm. 69-inch reach to 68-inch reach for El Fenomeno. Um, this is a good, that's good. You know, I think that Holly Holm is definitely going to use her reach a lot more than Vieira in this fight. Leg reach, a one and a half inch leg reach advantage for Ketlin Vieira at 39 and a half inches to 38 inches for Holly Holm. But I just don't think she's going to really be able to do much with the kicking game against a technical and tactical striker and a tactician in Holly Holm. Win percentages, we'll break it down. 57% of the wins coming by way of knockout for Holly Holm and 43% by decision. For Ketlin Vieira, 50% by decision, 33% by sub, by submission, and 17% by knockout. Average fight time, pretty close. Holly Holmes had a little bit more octagon time at 17 minutes and 4 seconds. Ketlin Vieira at 14 minutes and 16 seconds. Knockdown average per a 15-minute fight. Vieira has gotten no knockdowns in her professional MMA career, or at least in the UFC. Holly Holm comes back with a .15 knockdown average per 15 minutes. So, Probably gets one knockdown every three fights if we're going to break down that, you know, mathematically or statistically. Um, significant strikes landed per minute. Holly Holm comes in with 3.16. Caitlin Vieira, pretty close neck and neck at 3.07. Significant strike percentages equal 38% on both sides for Holm and Vieira. Strikes absorbed per minute 2.8 for the preacher's daughter Holly Holm to 4.07. So almost one and a half to two strikes absorbed per minute more when it comes to Caitlin Vieira. She gets hit a lot more and is there to get hit more than the the preacher's daughter, Holly Holm, who's better with the footwork, the movement, controlling the range, using that lead hand to control the range and getting off on angles. Holly Holm, very defensively responsible when it comes to her MMA career. Strikes absorbed per minute, we already talked about. Defense overall, 57% defense for Holly Holm, 54% for Caitlin Vieira. Grappling, point. 0.81 takedowns per 15-minute fight for Holly Holm. 1.71 for the number three or number five-ranked Caitlin Vieira. She's going to resort to the grappling. She's going to be looking to take Holly Holm down, use her wrestling and her superior jiu-jitsu to try to out-grapple and potentially lock up a submission like Misha Tate did against Holly Holm, but obviously it would be in a different aspect. But I think we're going to see Vieira look to strike on the feet, but eventually when the striking's not going her way, She's going to shoot in on the hips, get to a body lock, try to use a backside trip, an outside reap, or an inside reap to get the takedown work from the top position and look to get, you know, submissions and ground and pound off her. Use the ground and pound to butter her up and then get to the submission. Takedown accuracy, 30% for Holly Holm, 46% for Vieira. Takedown defense, you got a 76% takedown defense rate for Holly Holm to a 90% takedown defense rate for Vieira. Submission average per 15-minute fight, 0.07 for Holly Holm. She never looking to lock up the submissions, but she did showcase her grappling very well in the fight against Irene Aldana and also in the fight against Megan Anderson at UFC 225 in Chicago. 0.39 submissions per 15-minute fight for Vieira, obviously. More decorated with the jiu-jitsu, more decorated with the submissions. That's just who Caitlin Vieira is. It did, Caitlin Vieira is also a striker. She's got a great right hand, a great left hook, good shots up the middle. 
Very good uppercuts up the middle. That's something that I think Holly Holmes going to have to look out for. But honestly, I think Holly Holmes going to be in control of this fight for the majority of it from bell to bell. I think her range, her distance management, getting that left foot, the right foot, the lead right foot on the lead left, uh, getting the lead left foot on the outside, or I'm sorry, getting the lead right foot on the outside of the lead left foot of Caitlin Vieira. She's going to be constantly looking to get that angle, land the left kick to the body, land the front kick to the knee, the side kick to the knee, the side kicks to the body, enter in with three, four, five punch combos to set up kicks on an angle. I think that Holly Holm is so much better when it comes to striking on the feet. I think that Irene Aldana obviously knocks out Caitlin Vieira with a left hook. Holly Holm dominated Irene Aldana on the feet. Domination. You know, Vieira, or I'm sorry, Aldana really didn't have much of anything when it came to an answer for the preacher's daughter. And I think Holly Holm, her her fight IQ, her team, her ability to fight technically, I think she's going to be two or three steps ahead of Ketlin Vieira throughout the entirety of this fight. Landing the jab, landing the one-two, finding the angle to get the straight left and circle off and pivot to her lead right side. Always circling to that lead side or circling to the rear side to avoid the lead left hand, circling left and right constantly, kind of playing a matador for the entirety of the fight. If Vieira comes in and tries to bum rush her, she's going to maybe try to look to clinch up, push her up against the cage and land some shots. When it gets into the third, fourth, and fifth round, we saw in the fight against Misha Tate that Holly Holm, or I'm sorry, that Caitlin Vieira got tired. She got exhausted. The longer it went on, she was getting tired and All right, like we were saying before I was so rudely interrupted, um, a lot of left hands for me, for Holly Holm are going to be there, in my opinion. I think constantly circling left and right, circling to the outside of the lead left foot of Vieira, circling to her right, circling to her right, landing the jab, landing the jab. When Vieira tries to come in and close the distance or land her combinations, straight left, lead right, uppercut, straight left, constantly circling, side lead side kick, a lead head kick, lead question mark kick. Just the striking from Holly Holm is on a completely different level. And the way that she manages distance and manages range, I don't think Vieira is going to be able to close the distance. She kind of walks forward with a plotting style. She's got a good right hand. She's got a good right uppercut, a good jab. But she walks forward and kind of plods forward. When you plod forward against Holly Holm, that's kind of what Irene Aldana did. But she fought a little bit more technically. And she couldn't do anything. It was really just you got picked apart. And I feel like Caitlin Vieira is going to get picked apart here. I think there's a possibility for a finish. I wouldn't be surprised if Holly Holm did get a finish in this fight. But I think she's going to pick her apart for five rounds. I think she's going to get a 50-44, 50-43 decision. I think it's going to be a clear-cut victory. Now, if Vieira gets her down and gets on the top position, I think there is a potential for... I think there is a potential for Vieira to lock up a submission with her great jujitsu, with her huge frame, you know, with her strength in that division. I think it is possible that she gets on top, potentially takes the back and looks to lock up a rear naked choke. But I just don't think she's going to be able to close the distance. I don't think she's going to be able to close the range off. And I think Holly Holmes going to pick her apart at range. She's, she's one of the most technical girls in women's MMA. She's one of the best fighters in women's MMA, even though she had a little bit of a rough patch, but she always comes back and performs well. Looked great against Irene Aldana, and I think we see much more of the same here. I think it's a clear cut, five rounds to zero, potentially four rounds to one for Holly, the preacher's daughter, or the preacher's daughter, Holly Holm. So I'm going to go with Holly Holm to defeat the number five ranked Ketlin Vieira via a 50-44 
Yeah, you know what? I'll give her one round. So 49-45 unanimous decision victory for Holly Holm over Ketlin Vieira to be one step closer to potentially getting another crack at the gold against Amanda the Lioness Nunez or Juliana Pena at 135, depending on if she wants to fight at 45 or 35. So it would be Pena if Pena is able to get past Nunez in the rematch. But my pick is Holly Holm to defeat Caitlin Vieira via 49-45 unanimous decision. All right, that's it for my preview predictions and analysis for UFC Vegas 55. Obviously, it takes place this Saturday from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You can find the Touch Em Up podcast anywhere you get your audio podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, and many more. This podcast will also be uploaded to YouTube with some edits and visuals for all of the listeners here. Please make sure to leave a review for this podcast anywhere you can. You can leave it on Apple Podcasts, leave it on a bunch of other pod, podcast platforms as well. Anywhere you can leave a review for the Touch Em Up podcast. Help me out, leave a review, and help the Touch Em Up podcast grow to be one of the best MMA podcasts in the world like we already know that it is. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?